You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. God is a God of details. And as we study the beautiful, precious, tender Christmas story, we are reminded that God is in the details. In fact, for the last few weeks, we've been studying the significance of the town in which Jesus was born, the little town of Bethlehem. And we're going to see a very significant detail about Bethlehem that helps us to better understand the person and the work of Christ. So keep that in mind. I want you to turn in your Bibles to two different places with me. The first is Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we'll begin reading in verse 4. And when you've turned there, hold your place. But turn over to John chapter 6, verse 35. Luke chapter 2, verse 4. John chapter 6, verse 35. When you found your place, I want to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of... God's Word, which I'll remind you is truth with no mixture of error. This is the living Word of God. Luke chapter 2, verse 4, the Bible says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Everyone say Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Because there was no room for them or no place for them in the inn. Now look over in John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, we are grateful for this day that you've given us, this day to gather on the Lord's day, to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, And we ask, Lord, that as we study your word, you would move in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we might understand your word, and that we might be transformed by your word. Have your way in our midst. Speak to us, Lord Jesus. And we ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. There is a detail, which is a... Small detail, but a significant detail in the birth narrative. 
We just read together in John chapter 2 that Joseph went with Mary to the town of Bethlehem. And that's where the Virgin Mary gave birth to Jesus Christ. Now, the, the title Bethlehem, the name of that small town in the first century, carries with it some, some great significance. Because Bethlehem is a, a compound Hebrew word, Beit Lechem, is, is the, the Hebrew words that are put together. The word Beit, or Beth as it's pronounced here in our text, is the word for house. Lechem is the word for bread. So when you put Beth Lechem together, Bethlehem, the, the, the meaning of that town is the house of bread. Jesus was born in the house of bread. A small detail, but God put that all together to help us to understand the significance of Jesus. Because over in John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus proclaimed, I am the bread of life. So I want to talk to you about Jesus being the bread of life, born in the house of bread, and why that is so significant. Now, this statement that Jesus makes, the first of the I am statements, the seven I am statements that he makes in the Gospel of John, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life, there is some context here. Earlier in John chapter 6, we read about one of the the miracles of Jesus where he fed 5,000 plus people uh, with just five loaves of bread and two fish. It was a miraculous provision where Jesus took just a, a, a handful of food and multiplied it so that thousands upon thousands could eat. This was a a miracle that, that caught people's attention. In fact, it's the only miracle of Jesus that is mentioned in every one of the four Gospels. And in chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 plus people with five loaves of bread and two fish. Well, people are astounded by this miracle. You and I would have been too had we been there. And the multitudes began to follow Jesus around. And instead of inquiring as to who Jesus was and, and desiring to give him their allegiance and their worship, they want to be wowed again. So they, they begin to say things like this to Jesus. Give us more bread. You know that miracle you did? Do it again. Wow us, Jesus. Wow our socks off. And Jesus uses this as an opportunity to talk about humanity's greatest need. And he says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Now bread is a powerful metaphor, especially in the first century because it was a staple of life. The people in the first century could not conceive of life without bread. You needed it to survive. They didn't have, you know, a Publix and a Winn-Dixie and a Walmart. They, 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 they depended on bread as being a daily ration of provision for their families. Yet you had to have bread. So why is Jesus using this staple item in the first century to communicate something about himself? Jesus is saying when he says, I am the bread of life, that just like bread 
is indispensable for your physical life. Listen, Jesus wants him to understand, I am indispensable for your spiritual life. Just like you need bread, you need me. Now the question arises, why is Jesus indispensable? Why do we have to have Jesus in our lives? Well, there are four truths about Christ I want you to see that unfold in this teaching passage where Jesus talks about the bread of life. And these four truths about Jesus Christ answer the question why Jesus is, in fact, indispensable. So truth number one, you ready? Two of you are ready, that's good. It's encouraging. So for you two, we're going to get there, okay? First truth, Christ gives life eternal. Christ gives life eternal. Now look what it says there back in John 6, verse 27. John 6, verse 27. This is... When the people are asking him for more bread, hey, do another miracle, wow us, you know, multiply some more bread so we can all eat. And Jesus said in verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes. The, the bread that you want is bread that will, will one day pass away. But for the food or the bread that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you for on him... God has set his seal. And then in verse 33, Jesus says, The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And so the first reality that Jesus wants the hearers to understand about bread is this, that Christ, the bread of life, gives life eternal. Now what Jesus does in this section of Scripture, and it's fascinating is he begins to compare and contrast the bread of life, which he says in verse 35, I am the bread of life, the bread of life with the manna that God gave the Israelites in the Old Testament. If you remember, when the Hebrew people were wandering in the wilderness, God miraculously provided for them so that every morning when they woke up, there was this wafer-like, bread-like substance on the ground And the people would collect enough for that day, and they would survive on that manna. So Jesus says, you want to talk about bread? Let's talk about manna. You remember manna, Old Testament, the Hebrew people, the wilderness led by Moses. Remember the manna that was on the ground? Let's talk about manna so that you better understand what I mean when I say I am the bread of life. First of all, Jesus points out there are some similarities between the manna in the Old Testament and the bread of life. First of all, both are gifts from God. A gift from God. Look what it says there in verse 31. Verse 31, Jesus says, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And so he's saying there, that manna was given by God to His people. It was a gift. Then in verse 32, Jesus then said, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Speaking there of Jesus Christ himself. And so Jesus is saying, 
just like manna is a gift from God, the bread of life is a gift of God. But secondly, another similarity is both were from heaven. Both were from heaven. Look what it says in verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from where? From heaven. This was not, this was not bread you'd get from a, a local baker. This was bread from heaven. It was on the ground. Wafer-like substance. Had a, a, a taste of honey to it. And it was miraculous bread given by God from heaven for their physical life. But look what Jesus says about the bread of life in verse 32. It says, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. So Jesus is saying, just like manna came from heaven, I, the bread of life, I came from heaven too. And by the way, isn't that what we celebrate at Christmas time? We're celebrating the remarkable reality that Jesus Christ, the eternal second person of the Trinity, chose to leave the splendor and glory and unceasing worship of heaven to come to this earth and take on the frailty and limitations of humanity in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Jesus left heaven and came to earth. Aren't you glad? And Jesus saying, like the manna came from heaven... I came from heaven. There's some similarities between the bread of life and the manna in the Old Testament. But there's one big difference between manna and Jesus, the bread of life. Look there in your notes. Manna gave temporary life. Manna gave temporary life. Look what he says in verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And guess what? The fathers of the the Jewish people in the first century, they all passed away. They they, they subsisted on manna. It gave them uh, daily uh, nourishment, but eventually they died. It was temporary sustenance. And Jesus makes the same point in verse 49. Fast forward to verse 49. He's saying, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. They ate it and they died. And so the manna that came from God, from heaven, for his people in the wilderness gave temporary life. And there's a big difference between that and the bread of life. Jesus gives, listen, eternal life. Look what it says in verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven, speaking of Jesus, and gives his life to the world. And then fast forward down to verse 50. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, listen... He will live forever. And that ought to cause us all to say, wait, what? Forever? Forever? If we receive this bread, the bread of life, if we receive Jesus, we live forever. So there's a big difference between manna, which gave temporary life, temporary nourishment and sustenance, and the bread of life, who gives life eternal. Jesus is saying here, 
when you partake of the bread of life, when you receive me as your personal Lord and Savior, I give you life that never ends. Life that continues on beyond the grave. Life in that wonderful place called heaven. Life in the presence of God himself. I give you eternal life. And that's the first truth about Christ. Why is Jesus indispensable? Because he alone gives life eternal. But there's a second reason Jesus is indispensable. Christ satisfies our souls. Look what Jesus says in verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, now watch this, shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus here implies something very, very important about the human condition. And here it is. Everyone, whether they want to admit it or not, everyone is spiritually hungry. Everyone has, down in the depths of their being, this emptiness that they want to fill. Everyone has spiritual hunger. And and here's what we see transpiring in our world today. We see this transpiring all around us in different people's lives. People look in vain to satisfy their hunger apart from Jesus. So when Jesus says that if you come to me, If you receive me, the bread of life, you'll never hunger or thirst again. He's saying there, there is a hunger and a thirst that needs to be met. Everyone's spiritually hungry. But the sad reality is that many, many, many people are trying to fill the emptiness of their souls with things other than Christ. And listen, it never works out. What are some things that people are striving for to try to meet their spiritual hunger? Material things. You know, we've bought the lie in our society that if we have more stuff, the right kind of stuff, then we'll be happy. But what, what happens? Stuff just fades away, doesn't it? Achievement. Relationships, pursuit of pleasure, busyness, religious ritual, spirituality. We think if, if, we, if we can achieve some things, then, then we'll be spiritually satisfied. And people pursue these things apart from Christ. And here's the sad implication of that. When many can't satisfy their hunger with the things of the world, they become disillusioned. It's possible you're here this morning in this room or watching online. It's possible that you're disillusioned with life because you've tried to find joy, you've tried to find satisfaction, you've tried to find meaning and purpose everywhere other than in Christ. And it's not happening for you. There's still that gnawing emptiness deep down on the inside. And here's what happens. When people become disillusioned, they often try to dull their spiritual hunger. That's where we see things like addictions and abuse and excess enter the picture. 
I'm hungry and, and nothing satisfies my hunger. So I want to dull that ache in my life. There's so many people in our world that that's the life that they live. Trying to find life in all the wrong places. And Jesus says, if you will receive me, the bread of life, I will take care of your hunger. I will satisfy your soul. Blaise Pascal, a scientist and also a philosopher, apologist for the Christian faith, wrote this. What else does this craving, this helplessness proclaim, but that there was once in man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace? Pascal says... This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, though none can help. Since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. He says if you're looking to fill the emptiness in your life with anything other than the Lord, you will find yourself Wanting, which leads to this wonderful, wonderful truth. You ready? It is in your notes. A relationship with God through Jesus Christ is the only thing that will satisfy your spiritual hunger. That's it. It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. That's the authority of the Word of God. That's what Jesus says. It's in preacher talk or Baptist talk. This is what Jesus says. I'm the bread of life. You receive me. If you believe in me, I will fill your hungry soul. The church theologian Augustine said in a prayer to the Lord, You have made us for yourself, listen, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. Everywhere we look, people are running this rat race we call life with restless hearts. Restless hearts. They need their hunger, their thirst to be quenched and satisfied. And Jesus said, it's in me, it's only in me. Turn to me, believe in me, receive me. Christ will satisfy your soul. been a Christian now for 37 years and I can tell you this Jesus has given me eternal life I don't have to fear death or the grave one day I'm going to heaven and it's not because I'm good and I deserve it it's because Jesus loved me and died for my sins amen And I can tell you, I've been a Christian now for 37 years and I don't have all the answers and I don't have it all figured out and I'm not perfect and I stumble and I fall. But I can tell you this, Christ will flat satisfy your soul. He's the bread of life. Number three, Christ is a gift that must be received. Christ is a gift that must be received. When it comes to Jesus being the bread of life, offering you this 
life eternal and this life abundant. Listen to me. You've got to receive him. Sitting in church is not what does it. Knowing some things about Christ is not what does it. You've got to make a conscious decision of your will to receive him. You see, salvation is, and I love saying this, it is an absolutely free gift. Look what it says in verse 32. Jesus says, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God who is he who comes down from heaven and gives. Notice that word gives. Didomai in the Greek language gives life to the world. This idea of giving means it's a, it's a gift. It's a gift that God offers you. It's a gift that is free. And the word didomai means to give an object and it usually implies an object of great value. So Jesus is saying, I'm offering you, listen, I'm offering you Forever. I'm offering you life eternal in heaven. I'm offering you abundant life in the here and now. I'll satisfy the deepest longings and hungers of your soul, but you got to receive it. It's free. Now, now let me just say something quickly about the free gift of God. It's free, but that doesn't mean it was not costly. Look what Jesus says in verse 51. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is saying for this gift to be available, for you to have the bread of life, I had to give my flesh to provide it. He's speaking there of his his death on the cross. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, fully God, fully man. He lived a perfect, matchless life. Oh, in obedience to the Father of his own volition, Jesus Christ went to the cross. And on the cross, he died in our place. He took our punishment. He took our sin on himself and, and took the wrath of God that we deserve. What amazing love Jesus died for us. He says, my flesh. I had to give my flesh. I had to die for you to have this bread. It reminds me of the night when Jesus Christ was betrayed. He instituted the Lord's Supper, which, by the way, we're going to do on Christmas morning this year. I'm excited about that. He instituted the Lord's Supper, and he he took some bread. And he said, take and eat. He said this, this is my body. This represents my body given for you. And every time you remember me in the the elements of the Lord's Supper, every time you eat bread, you're reminding yourself that Jesus Christ gave his body for you. So salvation, eternal life, satisfaction, it's a free gift. But it cost Jesus his body. Life. He died for your sins and my sins. But because, listen, because Jesus paid it all, you don't have to work for that gift. You don't have to achieve something to, to take hold of that gift. You simply receive that gift. Because Christ has done everything. You see there in your notes, salvation is received. How do you receive this gift? 
eternal life, abundant life? How do you receive it? Salvation is received by faith. Look in verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The coming to me and the believes in me are parallel statements. In other words, to come to Christ means you believe in Christ. And look what it says in verse 47. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. That's about as clear as it gets, isn't it? Whoever believes has eternal life. So Jesus has died on the cross for your sins so that he could forgive you. He rose from the dead. He defeated death itself so he could give you life beyond the grave, eternal life. He's done it all. He's done everything necessary to save you. And he offers you this gift and you receive it by saying, I believe. I believe, Jesus, you died for me. And I believe that you rose from the grave for me. And I want you in my life. I want this eternal life. I I want to know my sins are forgiven. I want this abundant life. I want you in my life, Jesus. That's saving faith. The old English preacher, 19th century Charles Simeon said this. We should be convinced of his suitableness to our necessities. His sufficiency for our relief. His willingness to receive us. We must regard him as the only way to life, the only door of hope. We must believe in him as appointed of God to be our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And then we will find by happy experience that he is able to save us to the uttermost. Salvation is an absolutely free gift of God that he offers you. That you receive by faith. By believing in Christ, inviting him into your life to be your personal Lord and Savior. In fact, the Bible says when you believe, when you you want this gift, you'll, you'll call out on his name. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, Romans 10, 13. So maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Wade, I don't know that I'm going to heaven when I die. And, and I do know there's, a, there's an ache on the inside, there's a restlessness, there's an emptiness there that, that I've just kind of been dealing with, but it's there. And you're telling me today I can have my sins forgiven, today I can know I'm going to heaven when I die, today I can have the, the, the depths of my soul filled up by you, by abundance? The answer is yes, that's what I'm saying. You receive him by faith. Believing that he died, believing that he rose for you. And inviting him into your life and heart. You can do that today. There's a final truth I want you to see about the indispensability of Jesus. Why is he indispensable? He gives life eternal. He satisfies our souls. He's a gift that must be received. But fourth and last, and this is implied in the entire metaphor... Christ, he's meant to be shared. He's meant to be shared. Jesus said in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Now remember, this comes on the heels 
of that miracle, which I believe was uh, an illustration that Jesus is the bread of life. The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, taking five loaves of bread, two fish, miraculously providing for the thousands of people who were there. And and do you remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000? Jesus prayed. He blessed the bread. He broke it and began to hand it to his disciples. He would break some more, hand it to his disciples. What did his disciples do? They took the baskets of the bread that Jesus handed to them and they would take them to the crowd and they would begin to distribute the bread among the thousands of people sitting there. In other words, the disciples understood when God provides bread, somebody's got to take it to the folks who are in need. And on the heels of that great miracle... Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And in like manner, like the disciples, we who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, it is now our job, it is incumbent upon us to be those those distributors, to take the bread of life to those that need to hear. That's our calling. I think... This truth that Jesus is the bread of life carries with it evangelistic implication. One of my favorite definitions of evangelism that I heard years and years ago, and I've I've shared it here before, you've heard it, it's not original with me, but I think it communicates this point. Evangelism, telling others about Christ, evangelism is simply one beggar telling another beggar. Where to find the bread? You see, there's no one in this room who has it all figured out. There's no one in this room who's perfect. There's no one in this room that has all the answers. But we who have entered into a personal relationship with God through Christ... And are building our lives upon the truth of the word of God. We know, we know, don't we, that Christ saves. We know that Christ satisfies. We, we, we've experienced this personally. Now it's our job to take the bread of life to the hungry and say, listen to me. I don't know everything, but here's what I know. Jesus will save your soul and Jesus will satisfy your soul. Jesus is the bread of life. One beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. This Christmas season, we've got opportunities to you know, reach out and invite. We've got things like live nativity coming up and Christmas Day service here on our campus and, and, and other things. And, and it's, a, it's a wonderful opportunity for us to invite people and say, just, just come, come. Jesus is, 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 is wonderful. Jesus is magnificent. Jesus is, is majestic. Just come, come. He's the bread of life. One beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. So here's what I love about the Christmas story. God's a God of details, isn't he? Even to the point where he made sure that the bread of life was born in a town named the House of Bread. Do you think that detail is significant? Think God did that on purpose? 
Oh, he did. The bread of life was born in the house of bread. So when you read about Bethlehem and Luke 2 or Matthew 1 and Matthew 2 and you're reading about that little tiny village, remember that it reminds us that from the house of bread came the bread of life. And Jesus is the one, the only one, that saves and satisfies our souls. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.